Welcome back to another episode of Digital Fluency, the only podcast where you are guaranteed to get smarter about the digital world or your money back. Digital Fluency is a special podcast series from the good folks at the Studio for Teaching and Learning Innovation. I am your delightfully doubtful and always charming host, Adam Barger, and I am the instructor for the William & Mary course entitled Digital Fluency, Footprints and Philosophies, which provides the content for this series. Every week, we review what happened in class and discuss ways to apply these ideas to our lives. I am joined, as always, by student producer extraordinaire Jacob Hall. How are you, Jacob? Oh, I'm so good. I'm trying to decide what two adjectives I get, like jubilantly joyous and I don't know. That's pretty good. Jay is hard. Yeah. So if you want to make it like, you know, match your name, that's hard. Um, <laughs> I've told, yeah, I've used gelatinous before as my like. Can you my... say that about people? I'm not sure. <laughs> I guess you can say it about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would consider myself gelatinous. Yeah. So anyways, I'm doing well, Adam. <laughs> good, good. Thanks for having me on. You got that big vocabulary because you're a typical William and Mary person. And <laughs> That's uh, right. being, being that kind of person, I know this is a busy time. So we're recording this in early April mm. and universities around the country are full of busy, busy students as we kind of do the big ramp up to finish. So um, how's that going for you? How, how are you coping with the busy time of the semester? You know, it's all right. I've got a lot of things on my plate right now. A lot of things that I will, a lot of homework I will probably be completing over the weekend, unfortunately, but that is mm. just how it goes. Um, yeah, I, I think I've been able to cope with it fairly well this semester, uh, spending a lot of time sort of, sort of creating time for other projects that I'm interested in. I'm spending a lot of time mm. in the kitchen cooking, which I really enjoy. It's sort of like a good release. So at the end of the day, I think I'm, I think I'm all right. You're doing well, huh? Yeah. Sunshine is, is happening and you're feeling healthy and productive. Oh, honestly, the sunshine like makes it all better. Yeah. yeah. Well, good, good. Because sometimes as we talk so much about the digital world, you know, you got to check in with so-called real life, right? The analog world. <laughs> IRL. Yeah. So uh, question for you. H have you have you purchased any papers recently on Edubirdy or any of those uh, paper mill sites oh, we talked about? Man, I should. <laughs> I Yeah, I guess it just sort of, it felt... In the moment, it felt right to just write the papers myself. Okay. All right. But, Fair but enough. I should definitely. Um, so yeah, yeah. You, you've yet to buy some some papers. Um, <laughs> how about like the uh, the good old Google the quiz or test question um, during a, a, an exam and see if you can find the answer? Have you done any of that lately? Mm, another great idea. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I've, I've sort of gone with the like study beforehand and then put in my own answer. Oh, approach. the traditional mode. Yeah. Nice. Well, I, I am not surprised to hear these things because uh, you seem like a good and honest person. And, uh, you know, learning has something to do with um, changing your mindset and being familiar with information and retaining that information. And it seems like buying a paper or Googling an answer might be short-circuiting that. But, you know, what if I were to tell you that, that maybe learning in the digital age is... Uh, more about making those connections between the information you need and the information you can access uh, and less about retaining it. It's about connecting to the right networks of information. Would you buy that? I like that a lot. I think that that really captures the way that the internet and just digital life feels to mm -hmm. me. Like if I want to do something on my computer, if I want to get some work done, I think that the really the skill that I have 
lies in finding the resources that I need online, right. connecting the dots between the the resources and like bringing them together to make a product. Mm-hmm. Connecting the dots. I, 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 that's a really good line. I have to steal that. Because there is an aspect of the digital world that is about connecting the dots, understanding where you are, what resources you have, mm-hmm. uh, and bringing them together. So I asked, uh, so this week in class, we talked a little bit about learning in the digital age and how we connect that to skill building, uh, and then how we connect that to how we make decisions on tech use. So these kind of um, very practical areas. And I asked the students, I said, hey, if, if you need to know something, if I ask you, uh, you know, what's the capital of um, Kansas or something like that, uh, and you didn't know, what would be the first thing you do? And I have 16 students in the digital fluency class, and all 16 said, can you guess? They'd Google it. Google it. Every single one without fail, which I was, I love to see that because my, my trick question worked. And I said, no, <laughs> the first thing you would do is pull out your device. Uh, so it's either your phone or your computer or something like that. And then you would Google. Right. And so understanding that your device is part of your information network and there are skills involved with using that device is really the first part of Googling. So it seems like a small thing, but that was my example of, hey, your knowledge of the information network we call Google, the interwebs, whatever, um, is really part of your learning. Yeah. So if you didn't have a phone or you had never used... Uh, the internet, um, you wouldn't understand what Google was, right? Right. Yeah. That there's a lot of like prior knowledge and experience that that goes into just a, a simple Google search. Exactly. So that was kind of our jumping off point for going over very quickly kind of learning theories that you will run into in the digital world uh, and in the analog world, and understanding how how we as people and as educators we're still kind of wondering about what learning means and how it works. And there's been, you know, a couple hundred years of theory on this. And I'm going to give you that in about three minutes. All right. You ready? I'm, I'm super ready. All right. So let's open up your mind. Here we go. <laughs> so so the, the first of the big four, uh, actually maybe even the big three, I don't know if the fourth one is, has caught on yet, but we'll say the big three. The first of the big three is called behaviorism. And so a lot of these theories will intersect with psychology a little bit of anthropology, sociology. It's very interdisciplinary mm-hmm. when you're talking about teaching and learning. So behaviorism is really simple. It's you respond to stimulus, and that response indicates learning. Okay. All right, so this is, you know, put the cheese at the end of the maze, and once the mouse finds that cheese, um, that behavior is retained, and the mouse will find the cheese every time. Right. Okay, so okay. stimulus response, stimulus response. Learning is just making sure you get the right response. So if I give you a quiz question, and the first three times you miss it, but the fourth time you get it right, that behavior uh, shows me you learned something. Okay. I, right? I feel like that, yeah. I, from the perspective of a, a student, if, <laughs> I, I hope that there's more going on behind the scenes, but <laughs> I do understand like how that, that could sort of be like what it is boiled down. Yeah, you're demonstrating something. And whether it's an action piece of knowledge, you're demonstrating a behavior. So, sure. But you're right. You said you, you would hope there's something more going on. <laughs> yeah. That's because we hope that there's something between our ears doing something. And that's the second theory uh, speaks to that's cognitivism. Okay. Cognitivism is 
just what it sounds like. There's cognitive or mental processes happening when you get information and process it, and then it comes out the other end with a new understanding. So it kind of goes in your brain and comes back out through uh, your expressions or your mental activities, uh, and you represent learning uh, as a cognitive process. So it's taking information in, coding it a certain way, putting it into your, from your short-term memory to your long-term memory, and then it becomes part of uh, your new understanding. So once you understand how, for example, north, south, east, west works, uh, you can then take in new information like a Google map and understand that it's pointing you a certain direction. Mm-hmm. So that's cognitivism. There's, there's something happening in the brain. We don't know exactly what it is, but he has some good ideas. Uh, but learning happens in there. Gotcha. How do you like that one? I like it. I, I think that's like closer to what I've like how I've described and thought about learning in the past. Like, mm-hmm. like it, it's something that sort of is developed within your brain, and like the way that you respond to future like problems or situations sort of represents like how you've learned or to what extent you've learned. Mm-hmm. Sure. So the the third one is, and I hope there's no psychologist listening because they'll get mad at me for oversimplifying, but the third one is kind of like a mishmash of the two. Um, it's never as simple. It's as never like as simple as that. Yeah. Ugh. So the third one's called constructivism. And the idea is that we learn by making meaning of the world around us as a socially constructed event. So it's not just how I see the world and interpret it. It's how you see the world. world. It's how executive producer Roy Peterson sees the world. And we put all these things together and develop an understanding, a shared meaning, a shared understanding. Mm. So, you know, the really hardcore constructivists would say that you need the social world to learn. You need to have meaning kind of created through experiences. Yeah. Um, And so, yes, there's some behaviors associated. Yes, there's some cognitive aspects, but really it's a social process. Mm, yeah, I like that one a lot. I feel like that makes it feel more individual to me as mm-hmm. a process. Like everyone has their own sort of constructed reality that they live in and experience. And like by learning from others or learning from different resources, you can like like further develop that that reality. You got it. That's it. You could teach this class. <laughs> Tell you what, we can switch places. Although I don't know job, if I can Adam. push that big record button that's no this is a really difficult job that i have (laughs) (laughs) now now there's a fourth and this is the renegade theory and it hasn't fully caught on but when we talk about the digital world and being a digitally fluent person or learner i think this fourth renegade theory is the most interesting it's been around for not quite 15 years Mm. and that's because it didn't develop until we were well into uh, the digital world, and this is probably, you know, just at the beginning of Web 2.0. Remember we talked about the different ty- types of, of the web? Yep. So just at the beginning of Web 2.0, where we're starting to see more creative activities, more communication back and forth, and starting seeing the web as the connective tissue that uh, brings people together, people and information and resources. So this fourth theory is called connectivism. Mm. And uh, connectivism... Uh, basically claims that now that we are in the digital age, 
how we learn and gain skills specifically is all about how we navigate the information networks. And so there's networks of information, tools, people, uh, there's learning networks, there are um, uh, networks of computers doing things, you know, like Mm -hmm. Google and uh, networks of servers, there's hardware, there's software, there's all these things building uh, digital networks. And it's how we navigate that network that helps us learn. So understanding that if I need a certain piece of information, knowing where to go or who to ask or how quickly and efficiently I can get that information, that is actually learning. It's navigating the networks of the digital world. Hmm. So that's a little different. What do you think of that one? I like that one. I think, I think it might like, I think some of these can coexist, you know, and mm-hmm. like it does sort of feel similar to the constructiv- constructivism view. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it does like pretty, it describes pretty well my like sort of experience on the internet, how, you know, there are all these like specific resources on the internet that I like sites mm-hmm. that I generally go to like things that I like to do as a, as a someone who enjoys programming, like there's different languages that I like documentation for those languages that I like go to when I want to create something. So I, I feel like my experience on the internet is so like dependent on the network of resources that I use and follow and think about. And that is, that is what makes my experience different than maybe yours. Right, because I would imagine that if, if we both wanted to learn a new programming language, that your network will be much more efficient than mine. So if, I, if we both started on, I don't know, name a language, Python. Is that a language? It is, yes. Okay, so if we both start on that at the same time, uh-huh. because you have a different network of information, experiences, people, resources than I do, you will probably more efficiently navigate uh, the different hurdles to learning Python than I would. Yeah. And it's going to take some experience for me with me in the programming world to really hone that network. And so behind connectivism is this idea of both intentionality, like we can be designing networks intentionally, but also passivity in that if we are not actively taking part in the connected networks of our lives, um, it's not going to stop those networks from, from, from developing. Like we have to be an active participant. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I think that there are so many things on the internet just generally that are super interesting and useful and helpful, but maybe not connected in the way that you initially think that they might be. Mm-hmm. And the experience of delving into a topic and finding the like most useful or most applicable resources is like, most of the battle, you know, like that Mm -hmm. is, that is what it means to create things these days digitally or like research things online. Yeah, I would agree. And I think the, the curatorial aspect, right, where you have to curate what's out there um, is the challenge. And so there's a concept in the education world called personal or professional learning networks, PLNs. And PLNs are about having a designed approach to ongoing learning. Mm -hmm. So, for example, you might not follow every single programmer on Instagram, but you might follow the ones that are most applicable to your situation. 
Sure. Uh, you might not read every single news article, but you might have a news aggregator that pulls from several different places mm-hmm. and gets in one place for you. Uh, so you don't have to go and, you know, scavenge hunt for things. Um, and you might not uh, try to develop relationships with every single person in your field, but you're going to have specific people that you can collaborate with that enriches you. So the idea is you are always curating and adjusting your own learning network. Mm-hmm. And so that that's pretty easy to understand. But the point we talked about in class was you need to have kind of a lens or a framework to help you go about that. You can't just jump in, all right? You got to have a way of navigating this in the real life. And so what I presented to the students was, you know, two ends of a spectrum uh, in the digital world in terms of how you engage with it. There is the digital minimalist and the digital maximalist. Mm. Pretty easy to understand, but the minimalist uh, is going to have a lot less digital in their lives. The maximalist will have a lot more. So I'll tell you more about that, but just on that first definition, where do you think you are? That's really interesting. I, I don't know. I think that I'm probably on the maximalist side because of how much I enjoy using digital tools. And like I said, I am into programming. I have a lot of like interests online that sort of take up my time and so I, I think that like I am a maximalist in many ways, but I also do very intentionally cut aspects of digital life out. Like for example, we were talking about Facebook a couple episodes ago. That's really a platform that I just I don't use anymore. I just have completely cut it out because for me it's not really um a, a it's not a part of the network that I want to develop. Um yeah. So I, I think you're on the right track. So now I'm going to read to you the textbook definition. So this okay. is the super exciting part of the show. <laughs> and then we'll come co- back next week yes. for some more textbook definitions. Exactly. Textbook definitions only at digital fluency. So I'm <laughs> borrowing from the work of Cal Newport, also from the work of the Digital Wellness Ooh, uh, Institute. Cal Newport wrote that famous book. He wrote a couple of famous books. Digital Which one? Minimalism, right? Yes. Yeah. Did you read it? Not yet. Ah. It's on my list. Yeah, it's a good one. He, 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 I'm kind of a, a fanboy of Cal Newport. He writes a, a lot of things about kind of lifestyle design and intentionality. Yeah. So, uh, and, and it's very similar to the work that Digital Wellness Initiative does in terms of finding balance. So, according to these folks, uh, a minimalist, digital minimalism is a philosophy of technology use in which you focus your online time on a small number of carefully selected and optimized activities that strongly support the things you value. Mm -hmm. So you hear the design in that, the curation, the intentionality. That's the important part. And then everything else you happily miss out on. So the minimalist is, can still use a lot of things and still be involved as I think you are on certain things, but they're, they're happily missing out on things that aren't pointing them in that direction in the direction they want. Yeah. Maximalism. Digital maximalism is a philosophy of technology use that sees the potential benefit of using any technology that catches your attention. Mm-hmm. So the difference is, if I'm a maximalist, I kind of have that shiny thing syndrome where I say, oh, wow, th- that looks cool. And, and no, this looks cool. And I want to try this. And I want to have these devices. And 
I'm kind of jumping around based on the potential of the tool or resource. Whereas the minimalist has a filter, a philosophy where they say, is this going to join me in my focus for a specific aspect of my life, whether it's professional learning or skill development or something else. And if you can't make that connection, then you push it out. Uh So now with those definitions, where do you think you are? I think I am more of a digital minimalist based on those definitions. And I will tell you why. I think that I, one of my strengths when it comes to using digital tools is sort of filtering. I think that's a word that you Mm use in the definition where I like have developed a pretty strong idea of what tools I might actually want to use, like what lifestyle I want to foster by using digital tools Mm -hmm. and the process by which I choose the resources and tools that I use is very informed by those values. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think in that sense, like I am a big, like I'm a very strong believer in digital minimalism. And I think that by filtering the way that you interact with the digital world and filtering that network that you develop is the key to like having um, a, a life, a digital life that makes sense to you. Like it's that, right. that yeah. like mm-hmm. serves your, your overall goals and like your, your sort of digital purpose, you yeah. know? Well, you got to be in the driver's seat. You have to be the one. And so yes. and this has been illuminating for me because I think I'm right in the middle. I have a real problem, Jacob, real problem. And it's not just being super handsome. I mean, I can deal with that problem. <laughs> My real problem is I am interested in everything. Okay. Everything. I'm like an information sponge. I am interested in uh, sports. I'm interested in academia. I'm interested in philosophy and education. I'm interested in religion. I'm interested in tech tools and traveling and uh, backpacking. And just I, I have so many interests that um, I have a hard time filtering things around me. You know, so like I'll be reading an article, I'll click on the link, goes to the next article, read that article, click on the link, you know, and I'll, I'll just kind of go down these rabbit trails, um, which is why YouTube is such a problem for me because I just go down the, uh, you I know, can relate to that. The, the YouTube hole of just one thing after another. And so for me, I, I think the reason I'm kind of stuck in the middle is I haven't yet really um, decided which aspects of my life are going to uh, be part of my filter. Okay. You know? You know, so maybe I need to focus on uh, digital habits and digital learning that really is just connected to my job, maybe. Hmm. And other things I need to kind of put away. Um, it's one of the reasons why I'm kind of stuck with my smartphone. I love the idea of saying no more smartphone, let's go to a dumb phone. But I just love the idea that, you know, if I want to, I can pull up a YouTube video, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, and so for me to get from maximalism to minimalism, I got to work a little harder at... Uh, at shaping the digital world to serve me, not the other way around. So it's interesting how you sort of framed that because it sounded to me like your sort of, I'm going to use the word values again, like the, the things that you enjoy doing in the digital world are sort of discovering new ideas and reading interesting topics that that interest you. And you have a, a broad mm-hmm. sort of list of interests. Is that not 
what you want out of your network. If, if, if that content discovery is like really a, a good thing in your life, like, is it something that you necessarily have to cut out? Hmm. Interesting. Um, um, yeah, I think so. I think, uh, wow. I think the, uh, the student has become the teacher here. <laughs> I, so yeah, so you're saying if my approach to the digital world was to be basically an information hub to where I can follow any passion or interest I want, then I could build my minimalist approach around that. I think so. So this, maybe, maybe I'm not gaming, but maybe I am spending a lot of time reading blogs. That's, that's me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's what I do. I don't game. I, I read blogs, <laughs> Yeah. but, but yeah, like I, I think that, okay, this is reminding me of last episode when we were talking about um, like misinformation and like the quality of a source online, mm -hmm. like that to me is a very important part of developing your network, right? If there is a resource online or, you know, I'm, I say resource, I'm trying to, to be inclusive, like mm -hmm. all the different types of, of internet sort of tools, things that you might come across, a blog, a social network, um, some sort of aggregate. There's so many different things. Um, I think that, that identifying the quality of that source is not only about identifying if it is like conveying true or accurate information, but from the perspective of myself, the, the user of the digital tool, I want to identify whether or not it's aligning with what I want out of my digital mm -hmm. life. So yeah. if I come across, you know, you know, this, the, the Adam Barger newsreader online, right? And it's like this great aggregator. It's got all this like, um, all this, all these news, uh, sites that's, that's linked. It's, it's updated every minute. It's really great, but it has like all these sports posts and like, man, Adam must be really into sports, but like, that's not really my thing. I might decide not to use that news aggregator very much because it's got a lot of things that I'm not really looking for. And I know that there's other sources that might be like more aligned with what I'm, what I'm out for. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that awareness is part of the secret because uh, I think there's a, an aspect of digital FOMO, you know, like, oh, I, mm. I, I, I'm missing out if I don't read all the news or if I don't try all the tools or get all the apps or be on all the social uh, networks. Um, all these things are part of the experience. And I think sometimes it's like, oh, I got to be I got to be doing all of that. Uh -huh. And I think your point is a good one in that you have to be aware of what you need and what you want. Uh, before you can start shaping that network. Yeah, yeah. And like, I totally agree that it's a, it's a thing where people like really want to be the most well-read about just everything. Or like, I don't know, I th there's a lot of people who read like, um, I don't know, these, these huge news networks, right? Like, you know, uh, for example, I sometimes read the New York Times. So the New York Times posts stuff about all different types of topics. They have, uh, if you go to their front page, they've got, you know, interesting opinion articles about X or Y or whatever. And that might be my interest, right? I might be subscribing to their sort of journalism as a whole, but also I don't think that it should be like anyone's goal to be well-read on everything that the New York Times might write about, right. you know? Mm -hmm. And like, I think that like, choosing whether or not to spend your time reading any individual article or going to any site or like identifying with any larger network 
is a huge part about like valuing your own time and like also I like getting better at, at identifying which resources work best for you. Mm-hmm. And then happily missing out, right? That's the other side. We yes. can't forget the side of happily missing out yes. on the things that you that aren't serving you. And that can be hard. So like I, uh, my friend was laughing at me several months ago because he's telling a story about, uh, shoot, what's his name? The quarterback uh, for one of the teams, <laughs> um, Mahomes, Mahomes, that's it. Okay. And uh, he, I was like, Who's pa- who, who is Patrick Mahomes? And he's kind of laughing. He's like, he's like the best quarterback on the planet and MVP and all this stuff. I was like, well, I have no interest in the NFL. In fact, I have active anti-interest in the NFL. I, I have moral issues with the NFL. So I've eliminated football from my life. Uh-huh. And I'm happy about that. Yeah. And it's only when my network is challenged where I think, oh, maybe I should know. Maybe I should know more about that. I don't want to be awkward in social situations. Mm. But so that that happiness or that satisfaction and not being, uh, you know, super involved in all aspects of the information network, I think is important. I think you're getting at a really interesting sort of tangential point here, which is that just because you've defined your own network and you have a very well-defined list of the things that you want to spend your time doing and the things that you, you don't want to, like the things that you're willing to cut out and you're, you're happy sort of leaving behind, that doesn't mean that you are not going to like interact with other people who have different networks and you're mm-hmm. going to sometimes cross over into a different network. Sometimes when I'm doing maybe a research project for class, I'm researching something that's like pretty well outside my usual network, Mm -hmm. right? Like I'm not usually reading about this, you know, very specific topic or trying to find like blogs related. I don't know, whatever it might be. And I feel like that is another skill perhaps that, that, Mm -hmm. you know, recognizing that, Hey, this is sort of not what I would usually be into. I, um, you know, I don't need to know everything that there is to know about professional football, but like still being able to navigate that situation and sort of bridge that network when you need to, I think mm-hmm. is another like important skill. Network bridging, network hopping. Network hopping. <laughs> yeah. That's network hop. Yeah. That's what we could add to the connectivism literature and say, Hey, you have to be at a network hop. Yeah. I like that. We could add that to our list of takeaways. It wasn't there to start with, but I think it's time. It's time. It's time for the takeaways. Time for the takeaways. Here we go. So if you want to uh, efficiently navigate uh, network learning uh, and maybe even be more of a minimalist, Mm -hmm. I have three takeaways. Number one, curate resources to make big networks small. Curate resources to make big networks small. Listen, Jacob, the interwebs are big. They're everywhere. There's, there's too much out there. There is. The skill is not access. The skill is curation. So curate resources to make big networks small. Now, you could still network hop, as you just eloquently explained, but if you, this, you have a smaller, more intentional network, it will serve you. That's number one. I assure you, dear listener, that it is okay to have a small network of people or resources that you dearly love and to, to stick with that. And if that means that you're not on your phone all day, that's probably a good thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, that's a whole other podcast. We can talk about uh, phone behavior some other time, but I like that example. Yes. Um, All right, takeaway number two. 
Examine the life costs of extraneous tech in your life. Examine the life costs of extraneous tech in your life. Now, by life costs, I'm trying to get at this idea that not everything is an even trade of time, efficiency, um, you know, maybe even dollars. It's not just a real, it's just not an easy kind of like return on investment evaluation. Uh-huh. A, a life cost could be, are your networks and your digital behaviors taking you away from other things that would bring you more value? Absolutely. You know, so the life cost of me being on my phone, uh, even though my phone is super convenient in a, in a big piece of my learning network, being on my phone might cost me time with my kids. Mm-hmm. or it might cost me time in nature or something like that. So there are difficult to quantify life costs that we should consider when, yes. when trying to cut out tech. And you know what? If if you weigh those pros and cons, the, the costs of using any specific digital thing, and you decide that it is worth it, I think that's really empowering and you should go for it. But mm-hmm. I do think that people should be very intentional about weighing those costs. Yeah, and that, and that in and of itself is a skill. It's a different kind of um, philosophy and skill in existence that we're still figuring out in 2021 because we're yes. still fairly new to this. If you buy the idea that digital has ushered in a new sociology, a new way of existing, um, then this is a skill you have to build. Which is actually related to takeaway number three, which is be intentional about skill building in the digital world. Now, we won't go on a tangent here about uh, following your passion, but this came from another Cal Newport resource where he gave a TED Talk on following passion being bad advice. And the idea is having valuable skills, rare skills, marketable skills, skills that serve you, those are the things that will lead you into uh, successful experiences. Not so much just saying, you know what? My passion is making donuts. So I'm going to figure out a way to make a million dollars making donuts. Um, so th- that's part of it. But more important to this tip, be intentional about skill building in the digital world, is you have to seek out uh, the skills and experiences that are going to serve you. And taking every class on LinkedIn Learning or from taking 20 classes from Coursera may not serve you if they're not targeted. So it's that intentionality. And I think you said with the last tip being empowering, I think you get that here too. When you find skills that build into your life uh, and help push you in the direction you want to go, that is also empowering. I really like this one because I think a part of skill building is recognizing what skills you really do want to learn and then recognizing that you have like developed that skill for yourself once you have. And that is, as you just said, very empowering. And that's like, I think the, the greatest thing that we can do in response to this very digital life that a lot of people are living is m- developing intentional, specific skills that make digital life more powerful for us and, and, and make it so that we can achieve our own goals through using digital tools. That's right. The, the digital world should serve you, not the other way around. Yes. The digital world should serve you. So if, uh, I think that's a good place to leave it, but do you think you'll, you'll start working on that skill of buying more papers from 
Did you Because that's a that's a network learning skill, Jacob. Yeah. I promise your professors aren't listening to this. <laughs> I'm gonna have to to send in my first paper to Edubirdy and, and see see what see they what say. They make yeah. There you go. Yeah. Now you would never do that, not in a million years. But the idea of knowing that Edubirdy is not a place for you. That's making the digital world work for you, right? That's true. I have no fear of missing out when it comes That's to right. No digital FOMO. <laughs> well, hey, Jacob, thanks again for uh, your wisdom and your time. Absolutely. Best of luck as we roll up onto finals here in a few weeks. Oh, thank you. All right. Take we'll care, see you Adam. next time. Bye.